If you pay more attention to my sermons than maybe I do, you might have wondered why the scripture read was one that was used just last December. Well, it's because it's a passage about love, and one of the Advent candles is about love, so I chose this passage then. And now we're going through a series on 1 John, and this chapter, this passage, is in 1 John. So I didn't want to skip it, but what is, I'm going to do is look at a different um, couple of verses that I focused on then, and really focus in on um, chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, and chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. 9 and 10, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then verses 17 and 18, this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So what I'm going to look at first is how important it is that we have a correct view of who God is. And I speak about this often because that's part of what preaching is all about, is to help us get a correct view of God, a view that is actually understanding the actual real God who has called us to be his own. How you view God determines your heart toward God. The Pharisees saw God as a God of judgment and guilt, a God as a nitpicker, a stickler, ready to pounce if you ever got anything wrong. And I don't know why, but I grew up sort of thinking of God in a similar way. God was ready to criticize. God was ready to pounce. God was sometimes rarely happy with me, and most of the time, seriously disappointed. The heartbeat of God, as I understood it, was, Jim, what are you doing? Jim, why are you doing that? Jim, stop it! Jim, I've had enough. And I thought God might turn his back on me. Again, no idea where this came from, but maybe, maybe I do have an idea. It's the spirit of religion. And many people see God in a similar way, that God is the one we have to please, and our lives must match up to what God is expecting, or God will get us. I still remember, and I may have mentioned this before, it made such a big impact on me, the sitcom Maud. And when her husband, Walter, would do something wrong, Maud would say, God'll get you for that one, Walter. The idea of God as sort of karma personified uh, runs through many people's understanding that God is ready and waiting to find us doing something wrong and to get us, to punish us one way or another. For many people, uh, their, their idea of God has been shaped by 
by deliberately instilling fear. Now, God is awesome, and God is worthy of praise. God is way beyond us. Uh, so there's a, a rightness about seeing God as other and seeing God as holy. But to see God as one who is ready and willing and actually looking forward to punishing us is a way of seeing God that causes us to either work really hard or utterly give up. And either way, it doesn't get us closer to God. Some people were uh, made afraid in order to get them to behave. It's like God, like uh, he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. Or is that someone else? Some people get the two confused. Some people have suffered abuse. They have dealt with those who are called to protect them actually becoming an attacker. All of these things keep us from truly understanding what God is actually like. If we view God as a God of judgment and guilt, we will never, ever feel close to God unless we are delusional in thinking we are good enough for God's embrace. But Jesus shows us the true heartbeat of God. God is a God of love and of grace, of acceptance and embrace. John, 1 John 4, 9, and 10, and this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. Sounds familiar, I think. John used similar words in his gospel, John 3, 16. And many people say that 1 John is sort of a, an exposition of many of the themes of the gospel of John. But what, what he's saying here is that God acted first. God sent his son into the world. God loved first. Not God waited until you were good enough to be loved. God loves. God loves. And God sent his son. This is not earned. It's not based on our success. It's not based on our likability and our achievements, on... Um, on our ability to avoid enough bad things. It's God. It's God's love. Agape is a unique word for love that isn't found very much apart from the New Testament because all other words for love imply that the person who does the loving sees something in the one that is loved or the thing that is loved that is deserving of that love. But agape focuses on the one who loves. And the one who is loved is loved not because of themselves, but because of the magnitude of the love that exists naturally in or exists in the one who loves. The agape, when we love someone else, we love them not because of what they do for us, but because we choose to love them. God chooses to love you. 
Romans 5, 8, God shows his love for us, for you in this, while we, while you, while I, we're still sinners. Christ died for us, didn't wait for us to get our act together, but died for us while we were still sinners. I don't know if uh, any of the rest of you were moved, as moved as I was last week when Brittany sang uh, this these words in our worship service, you are not hidden. There's never been a moment you were forgotten. You are not hopeless. Though you have been broken, your innocence stolen. I hear you whisper underneath your breath. I hear your SOS, your SOS. I will send out an army to find you in the middle of the darkest night. It's true. I will rescue you. The words of God to you. There is no distance that cannot be covered over and over. You're not defenseless. I'll be your shelter. I'll be your armor. I hear you whisper underneath your breath. I hear your SOS, your SOS. I will send out an army to find you in the middle of the darkest night. It's true. I will rescue you. God reaches out to us. God sends the armies. God sends his son into the world to rescue us because he loves us. Now there's a, a branch of theology and it's a pretty big branch that, that points out how worthless we are. You know, because God's love is agape, it's not about what uh, we bring to the table. Um, we are seen as worthless. Even in the wonderful hymn, Amazing Grace, uh, we call ourselves wretches when we come before God. That may not be a full understanding of the why and the way God reaches out to us and the love that God has for us. We are not worthless. We are unworthy. We are unworthy of God's love and grace and all the blessings that God pours out upon us, but we are not worthless. God values you. God sees you. God sees you in your joys and God sees you in your sadness. God sees you in your darkest night. And he reaches out his hand to rescue you. But fear blocks love. Fear is a powerful force. I don't know if you have given to political campaigns or just about anything. Uh, if you've made a donation and you get the mailings uh, to support them in an ongoing way, most, many of, much of the time, much of the time, those mailings include fear, fear tactics. These people are doing this, so send us money so we can do what you want and not let those people when it's all over the place. Tim Keller says it this way, fearful people are unpleasant people or they're just shut down people. They don't have the energy anymore to reach out. There are many explanations for the rise of uncivil behavior toward one another, but nine times out of 10, if you traced it back to its core causes, you would find some version or another of fear fear of losing, fear of strangers, fear of change. Uh, and I apologize, that was not Tim Keller, that was Scott Hazy who said that. 
And all of the fears trace back to God is not good enough or willing or able to protect me. That's at the core of all fears. Or maybe God is willing, God could protect me, but because I'm me, God would naturally choose not to. Robert McGee, in a, in a book that changed my life called The Search for Significance, wrote about three fears that we have. The first fear is we believe that we must meet certain standards to feel good about ourselves and be acceptable to God, the fear of failure. Many people try very little because they don't want to fail, so they end up succeeding at doing nothing. This fear of failure holds us back. This fear of failure plagues our hearts by saying, you're not good enough. You're not going to make it. You can't do that. The second fear that he uh, talks about is the fear of rejection. We, must, we believe that we must be accepted and approved by others to feel good about ourselves. We wonder, will God stop loving me? Has God stopped loving me because of last Thursday? Can God continue to love me? And many, many people have experienced rejection to one degree or another from people. But remember, God is not people. We fear punishment. We believe that we and others deserve punishment. So we blame others and we avoid consequences. And we're always looking for who's wrong. Because we don't want to be wrong. But sometimes we know that we are. And so we wait. We wait for the punishment to come. But what the author of this book, Robert McGee, said is that the fear of failure is met in Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ succeeded. He succeeded in living a life of total obedience to God. He succeeded in taking your sins upon himself. He succeeded in winning victory over sin and over death. And that success is now yours. You need not fear failure in God's eyes. He says rejection? Huh. All that Jesus did was so that you could be accepted, so that you could be embraced by the loving arms of God. There is no rejection for you anymore. Punishment? He took the punishment that we may have deserved. And it is no more. There is no fear that God, uh, as far as our relationship with God, that God has not addressed in Jesus Christ. In his amazing love for us. So, in verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. Love drives out fear. God's love drives out fear. There's a story told of a little child who got a jack-in-the-box. And then you never know, but at some point, 
the head is going to pop out of that jack-in-the-box. The parents thought the kid would love it. The kid hated it. The kid was so afraid every time Jack popped out of the box. Until one time, uh, the kid carefully and slowly turned the crank. Do, 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 and out pops Jack. The kid gave Jack a kiss. Because love drives out fear. The kid had a sense that if he could establish a relationship with Jack, Jack wouldn't scare him so much anymore. A pastor friend of mine posted a, a really interesting idea uh, yesterday. He said that Pentecost, which we celebrate today, see the backdrop and the shirt, red for Pentecost. Pentecost is a reverse, a reversal of Babel. Do you remember the story in Genesis of Babel where the people gathered together to try to reach God and in a sense maybe to dethrone God? And language was confused. In other words, people were then unable to communicate with each other. The, the effects of sinfulness um, drew people away from each other. And we see that today, don't we? People just have the hardest time communicating with each other. It's like we speak a different language, even though we speak the same language. This is the result of sin. Pentecost came. Oh, and notice the motion. The tower was being built up and up and up. Pride, trying to elevate and yet causing division. God at Pentecost sends down the Holy Spirit because Jesus Christ has been sent down from heaven and the Holy Spirit fills us and fills me and you and them and them. And with one spirit, we are drawn together. The effects of Babel, of dividing us, are put aside. May we live into that. May we live into that Pentecost truth. In our assurance of pardon today, I use the words of Romans chapter 8. Just a reminder, just a reminder that God's love is so complete, there is no need for fear. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Therefore, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Nothing. You know, most of the time, fear is a, a numbers game, a percentage game. You know, if you want to get a group of people together and um, at maybe, let's say, 8 o'clock in the morning, go play flag football on Interstate 95, there is a strong, very high percentage a likelihood that something bad will happen to you or one of your teammates or many of your teammates. There are many things in life that we should fear because the likelihood of it causing damage to us is high. 
Some people are afraid to fly. And those who want them to fly will say, well, the chance, yes, there's a chance that the plane will crash, but it's not that high a percentage. And many of us measure our fear and our boldness by the percentage, by the, the likelihood that something bad may happen. Now, just an aside here, if you know a fearful person, telling them to stop being afraid does not work. It's like telling a crying child to be quiet. It's like yelling at a crying child to be quiet. It only makes it worse. What we are called to do is encourage and reassure the fearful. And our reassurance, as far as those who are fearful of their relationship with God and fearful of God being sufficient is to reassure them that the percentages are as high as they can be. Jesus Christ has made you 100% acceptable to God. Jesus Christ has made you 100% holy in the eyes of God. And there is 0% chance that God will let you go or reject you. No fear. Because of the love of God.